Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining today's Salt Bitcoin Review. My name is Jason Zins. I'm a partner at Skybridge Capital and your guest moderator today, uh, Anthony Scaramucci and John Darcy uh, will be back. Uh, but excited to be here uh, with a number of uh, very important topics and recent events, developments to talk about in the Bitcoin world. Joined by a familiar face on these reviews, Brett Messing, President and Chief Operating Officer of Skybridge. As many of you know, we'll run through some of the relevant topics uh, in the Bitcoin world and also take questions. So as a reminder, uh, you can ask a question using the Q&A button at the bottom of your Zoom toolbar. Uh, and before we dive in, just a, a quick announcement, as, as you probably saw in our newsletter, the SALT conference is back. Uh, registration is now open for SALT New York 2021, which will take place in New York City at the Javits Center September 13th through 15th. Again, registration is now open and you can go to our website, salt.org for more information. So with that being said, let's dive right in. Uh, a number of exciting topics to touch on, as I mentioned, but Brett, why don't we start with uh, really the Bitcoin conference down in Miami from this weekend. And one of many exciting developments to come out of that was Jack Mahler's, uh, the founder of Strike, uh, who announced over the weekend that El Salvador would become the first sovereign nation to make Bitcoin legal tender over the last couple of days uh, that has developed further um, with that becoming law uh, overnight. So let's start there, Brett. What, what is the significance of this small country of El Salvador adopting Bitcoin as legal tender? Um. Well, before I answer that, you know, I think as everyone knows, I'm a hodler with a multi-year view on Bitcoin, and I and I try to avoid short-term price, you know, um, forecasts. But I think Anthony and John bailing on the weekly review means we've put in a bottom. Okay, so I don't want to track the price. I'm saying like for those short-term traders amongst you. I think now's a good time to buy. Um, Jason Zinn's bottom, let's call it. All right, then we'll call it that. Um, look, it's a super significant event um, for, for symbolic reasons, but beyond that, for very practical reasons. Um, Bitcoin is now legal tender in a foreign country, and that has implications for U.S. commercial law. It, 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 it has implications potentially for how it's accounted for on companies' balance sheets. So one thing that Michael Saylor is working on is he's trying to get FASB to change the, the, the tax treatment of Bitcoin on his balance sheet because it's presently treated as an intangible. And so what that means is, is that if you own Bitcoin on a corporate balance sheet and it goes up, you don't mark it up. But if it goes below your cost basis, you mark it down. So it's asymmetrically bad. If you own a foreign currency like a yen or you know euro or any foreign currency, you get mark-to-market accounting, okay? And just simply by El Salvador recognizing Bitcoin, it could have changed the accounting treatment of, of Bitcoin. But, you know, be, beyond that, what we've seen since Sunday is leaders from nations throughout Central and South America saying they want to do likewise. We've seen a number of companies say they're going to be moving to El Salvador. And what what's really happening is, is, is El Salvador is doing what Miami is doing and what Texas is doing, right? They are attracting, you know, business 
right, which is going to, you know, ultimately benefit their economy. And so what's happening, Paraguay is responding, Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, that's going to want this talent. And you mentioned this announcement was made in uh, uh, the Miami Bitcoin conference. And I've spoken to a lot of people who are down there. And, you know, it is a bit of a Bitcoin burning man. There's a lot of partying that goes on. But just the amount of talent and capital that is pouring into the Bitcoin ecosystem is uh, human capital and actually, you know, financial capital is just really unbelievable. Just yesterday, we were discussing that, you know, um, BlockFi is raising, I think, $500 million in a round led by Dan Loeb. Um, we understand that SoftBank might be making a substantial investment as well. Um, you know, it, it, everything that's happening in this space is just just really accelerating. I guess, what, what was your reaction to that? Well, I, I was uh, I was watching it live actually from from Central Park, and and Jack Mahler's uh, very emotional about the announcement. The the background there for those that 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 don't know. Jack has been down in El Salvador um, for the last number of months, living and working at what's called Bitcoin Beach, uh, which is this small beach town in El Salvador that a number of years ago decided to fully adopt uh, Bitcoin. And so um, through applications like Jack Mahler's Strike and others built on the Lightning Network, that community has been living uh, and transacting exclusively with Bitcoin. Um, and it, it seems clear that the president and, and others in El Salvador took notice, uh, and, and it's likely that that was a significant part um, of this move by El Salvador, is, is that sort of proof of, uh, of concept, even at a, a small scale. So um, you've now seen a number of developments since then, both in the country as well as, as you mentioned, from um, from other politicians uh, throughout the region. Um, so why, why don't we take a step back a little bit and, and Brett, maybe touch on why these countries are, are adopting Bitcoin, right? A, a lot of them are in similar situations where they don't control their own monetary policy. They're really pegged to the U.S. dollar. And with all of the, the dollar printing and devaluation that's gone on, it's had a, a big negative impact on these countries. So uh, why don't you touch on what the actual macroeconomic benefits uh, are likely to be from this move? I, I actually, I think, Jason, the story starts earlier than that, which is it, if you think about go back 100 years, you know, two thirds of the world is colonized by Western Europe. Right. And then we have an independence movement, all of Africa. These are young nations everywhere. And as you said, they they develop their own currencies and almost uniformly, they failed at managing their own currencies. I mean, El Salvador has failed to such a degree, right, that they use the U.S. dollar. That's the official currency in El Salvador. But what happens is that we have, you know, we've weaponized the dollar after 9-11. And, and I think we've taken it to, large, to, to a large extent that is not serving U.S. interests. So as an example, the, look, the El Salvador um, pr president, who's now become my favorite green pro-Bitcoin dictator. He was elected democratically, but, but he has demonstrated some autocratic tendencies. He fired the attorney general. He cleaned out some Supreme Court justices. And so the U.S. was moving to hold back some IMF money that, that El Salvador needed. These countries feel like they're 
economic colonies now, even if they're no longer political colonies, okay? There's just a culture, right, where they don't want to be controlled by any empire. It's 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 not just the U.S. And so the idea of a money, right, that can't be screwed up by a government and isn't controlled by a foreign nation, right, um, is incredibly intuitive, appealing to these people. I, I think as we've discussed previously, the first country to really embrace Bitcoin, and there was a, you know, a fintech executive named Wences Cesares, who's considered to be patient zero, who brought Bitcoin to Silicon Valley, and people like Chamath and Peter Thiel and Reid Hoffman credit him with introducing him to Bitcoin. He lived through, and many Argentinians have, times have, you know, every decade, their net worth just goes away, right? Because the currency collapses. So Bitcoin doesn't seem risky when owning your country's currency seems like, you know, a 90, 100% chance that it's going to get completely destroyed. So I, I think staying with the geopolitical theme, this is a domino, right? I think you're going to see this happen throughout South America and Central America, throughout Africa, the Caribbean nations, parts of Southeast Asia. Um, and, what, you know, I think it's, it, it, it's super exciting for Bitcoin. I think I might have mentioned this on a prior um, uh, Bitcoin review show, but at the MicroStrategy Conference, when Ross Stevens and, and Michael Saylor were speaking, Michael Saylor asked, like, what's the next chapter for Bitcoin? And Ross said, well, the first decade was Bitcoin the asset. Okay, I would argue that we're still in the very beginning of Bitcoin the asset, but that notwithstanding, Ross has been around Bitcoin longer than I have. And the next, the next chapter is Bitcoin the network. Okay, and I think this is a, a movement there and just last last point on this, 22% of El Salvador's economy is remittances. The remittance market is huge. And everyone talks about all the fancy things that Ethereum can do. And I, I don't really like the Ethereum versus Bitcoin battle because I don't think it's an either or. I think what Bitcoin does, it does great and doesn't have to do a gazillion different things. But this is another thing that Bitcoin can do as, aside from being a store of value is play a very key role in the remittance market, which is an enormous market across the globe. So, um, I, you know, again, I think this is really significant news. I think for many people who have called for this, the, the whole idea of a Bitcoin standard, um, I think it's happening, you know, sooner rather than people expected. Uh, and we'll just have to see, you know, is this an anomaly or does, does this really result in follow through from other nations? I think that's a key point. Also, you've had a lot of talk and and presumed steps, but it'll really be um, the implementation of that and 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 how El Salvador embraces this and and really incorporates it into their economy um, will be a, a critical test for Bitcoin, right? Because this is the first time at this scale um, that will that will see if Bitcoin can really live up to. The promise that that many people see. Um, so, despite being such a, a tiny nation, I think it's I don't know six million citizens. I believe twenty five billion dollars in GDP. Uh, I think we we both agree that this is a uh, a massive event uh, in in the in the life of Bitcoin, uh, and we'll we'll see where it goes from here. Um, 
Mr. President, if you're listening, I know you jumped onto Twitter last night. We'd love to have you on uh, our SALT talks and at, at SALT. Um, so uh, please let us know if, if, if you're interested. Um, I want to stay on, on this topic a little bit uh, and dig in a little bit more because I've taken a peek at the questions and we'll take the questions at the end. But um, can, you, can you spend a little bit more time on the potential accounting uh, implications um, from a corporate perspective or, or even capital gains? There's been some talk of that for individual investors. What's your view on that with this recent announcement? Um, well, again, it, it, it's a bit of a TBD, but I think if if you ended up in a situation where companies uh, could market to market, as I said, instead of this sort of a tangibles tax tax treatment, there is the possibility that rather than being treated as a capital asset, that you would have to pay ordinary income tax on Bitcoin. So, you know, I, I would say that um, there are definitely people in the community who are worried about that being sort of an adverse, unintended consequence. Now, just to, 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 to give you the plus side of that, if we all want, all of us that own at least three Bitcoin can move to El Salvador. We can become citizens of El Salvador. I hear the beach property is quite cheap. There's no property taxes and have no capital gains tax. Um, you know, obviously, I'm I'm kidding, and um, uh, I think you know it, one of the things that's very attractive about Bitcoin is its tax treatment. It, it, its tax treatment is better than gold, better than art, um, and we're just going to have to see on this. You know, there's you know the intellectually is a, the framework is such that you would change the accounting treatment based upon this. I think we'll have to see if. A nation of six million people doing something results in the largest economy in the United States changing the way it treats an asset. I mean, there's something, again, while it, it makes sense from a purely like law school legal standpoint, um, we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think we have to sort of stay tuned on that. Well, we certainly expect there'll be more discussion around the de developments in, in El Salvador, but uh, for now, we'll, we'll leave it at that and, and move on to, to some of our other topics. Um, so earlier this week, um, perhaps on, on the negative side, but you'll, you'll tell us um, the Justice Department seized Bitcoin uh, that was paid as ransom from the Colonial Pipeline hack. Um, it was perhaps misreported, whether on purpose or not, by many in the mainstream media. Um, but why don't you you give us um, your uh, your rundown on what happened and whether it's negative or positive for, for Bitcoin? Okay, it's massively positive. Like Bitcoin is being de-risked before our very eyes. So a week ago, there was a op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, which was actually, it took them a week longer than I thought to write it. Because when the Colonial Pipeline thing, when I read that they paid Bitcoin, I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. So now we're going to get, in fact, Elizabeth Warren at a subcommittee meeting today was peeing all over Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, you know, playing out all the old tunes from three years ago about how it's used for crime, blah, blah, blah. Bitcoin is terrible for crime. Mike Morell, the former director of the CIA, issued a report Chain Analytics, uh, which is a very respected forensic blockchain um, sort of law enforcement 
security firm um, has has said that Bitcoin illicit use activity is about one percent of overall transactions. This is another piece of evidence that Bitcoin is bad for crime. You know, I've mentioned that that you know after January sixth, the FBI found that there was some anarchist in France and he sent money to the Proud Boys, and it took him a week to track him down. Um, so I, I view this as just again another sign of Bitcoin being de-risked. And I and I, I view that like the China. There was some news today about you know China continuing to crack down on mining, and and the hash rate, uh, um, which is the amount of computing power that is operating on the Bitcoin network, coming down a bit by virtue of that. Again, massively positive. The headlines you know can be scary. China bans mining. Bitcoin hash rate declines. Okay. This is this is the de-risking of Bitcoin. It's the greening of Bitcoin because as we get it out of the coal regions of China, wherever it goes, right, the overall energy mix of Bitcoin, right, becomes greener. And this sort of false narrative that quote China controls Bitcoin because of the amount of mining just gets just goes away as you distribute that mining globally. Um, and then, of course, El Salvador is another way that it's it's de-risked. Right? You have a nation like this sort of Internet money that we all laughed at several years ago that went up and crashed and somehow is still with us is being recognized by governments as legal tender. Um, uh, you know, everyone on this call, whether they own Bitcoin or not today can go on their phone. I bet there isn't a person on this call who doesn't have either a Venmo or a PayPal account and they can buy Bitcoin. And it's just gonna to continue to get easier and easier. Um, and, you know, anyway, that was my take, I guess, what was yours? Because, you know, with Bitcoin has been trading until today pretty terribly. When this news came down, it traded down, which surprised me. Um, did you react differently to the news when you saw well, it? And that was sort of why I introduced it. Um, uh, almost uh, tongue-in-cheek is negative news because you, you've been obviously very consistent on all of these points, right? The the Elon Musk, uh, original Elon Musk issue, but more so the greening of Bitcoin with the re the reduction of, of mining out of China, um, this Justice Department news. You've strongly said all hugely positive for, for Bitcoin, Um Yet when you look at the price, which we uh, we all certainly do, probably more so than we should, um, the market arguably has has viewed it as negative news. Um, and whether it's CNBC or others in the mainstream media, um, it's been portrayed similarly as well. Now, that being said, to your point, it looks like um, pricing has rebounded. I'll take credit for that as the Jason Zen's bottom. Um, and you always say, don't follow the price, follow the news. Easier said than done. Um, given the events that we've just talked about, it, it does feel like there's a shift in sentiment. Things got really, really bad, really negative. You, you had what seemed like some capitulation events to the downside in price. Um, do you think we've we've made a bottom here? I mean, do you think that El Salvador is is perhaps a catalyst to turn this around? Well, I want to take a step back because you, you made me feel bad, like I'm just a perma bull, which I don't I don't want to be. I, you know, it's like I own a lot of Bitcoin, and so I 
because I do, it doesn't make me a cheerleader, although I want to get people engaged. It actually focuses me and makes sure that I'm evaluating it um, to the best of I can rationally. The, the, the focus on Bitcoin energy consumption, okay, has definitely had an adverse effect on institutional adoption. Okay, there are some number of institutions that pressed pause, right, because of all the attention. Okay, and and that and look, ultimately at the end of the day, every market, right, responds to supply and demand, and it's very sentiment driven. What Bitcoin doesn't have, and the reason why I think the extremes, you know, are such. Is, is there's no like fundamental floor, floor based on traditional financial analysis. Right? So there's no one out there sitting there saying, well, if it gets to X times EBITDA, I'm buying it. I don't really care. Right. You know, um, or you, know, you just you just don't you don't have that. Um, so as it's falling and it gets from 40 to 35, could it go to 18? You know, you know sort of the, the fear and greed sort of takes over. Um, so it, it it has a so so that 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 was a negative. Um, the other thing is is that you have just momentum buyers into Bitcoin, and I can tell you, I've spoken to the NIDIC trading desk, and they have people, a lot of people who would rather pay forty one than twenty nine. Okay, so they're right. They're sitting here waiting for it to stabilize, right, and and you know they're nibbling as it shows firmness. But when it shows weakness, they're like they step away. And that's why we get these sort of gapping da- gap down movements. Um, I mean, it's a fucking crazy asset. OK, it's like it trades like nothing I've seen before. And that's why there's such a brilliance to hodling. Um, I'm sorry, I lost track of the original question. I felt no, like that, even, that, I felt- that, that's good. I think that's um, a good segue into some of the other developments in uh, in Bitcoin world today, which really relates to adoption, right? Like you mentioned, there's not really fundamentals. There's no earnings. There's no price to sales ratio. Um, but we do have Metcalf's law. We do have the network. We do have adoption, which is, of course, key to our thesis. Um, and, and all signs on that side of the equation look very positive, right? And so uh, as a piece of news that just came out uh, today, um, the uh, the brokerage interactive brokers it was reported will be uh, allowing crypto trading at some point this summer that follows news that I think you've touched on in past weeks uh, of course Morgan Stanley rolling out a product but JP Morgan Goldman Sachs Wells Fargo look to be in the queue um, so give us your insight into the adoption story including from you know a high net worth investor perspective. Well, look, I, I think adoption is inherently tied to easy access. And so, you know, um, I think what has happened with the various Bitcoin funds is that, you know, people people hear the story, they get interested, and then they get tied up in the documents and they sort of lose interest and it gets too complicated and it's just not worth it for a small position that they're not that sure about, but they're sort of interesting. Um and so the private fundraisers have been, I think, more challenging for the various people. So the more, the easier you make it for people, the greater I think the adoption is. Um, in the th- first quarter of this year, you know, Square has its cash app. So in addition to Venmo and PayPal, 
The Cash App is another very easy on Square. And they, Square had, for their first quarter, they had $5 billion in revenue, of which three and a half was Bitcoin you know, transactions, people buying Bitcoin on Square. Um, Interactive Brokers has announced today that this summer they will be the first brokerage firm, right, where you'll be able to just, in your brokerage firm, like you're buying Apple stock or, or a mutual fund, buy Bitcoin, okay? After them, you'll be able to do it on E-Trade and Schwab, and eventually you'll be able to do it in your Morgan Stanley brokerage account. And again, I think that the easier it becomes, the, the more widespread the adoption. And I, I guess, you know, you're right. There, as we discussed, there, there's no like, well, I'll buy it this PE or, you know, because this is where the cash flows are X. And you really do have to focus on the adoption. And at the Bitcoin conference, Tyler Winklevoss, when he was dressing the crowd, he said that there are 40,000 public companies in the world and 32 public companies own Bitcoin. And he rhetorically asked the crowd, do you think that number is going up or down? And so when the, when Bitcoin is falling and I'm getting a little nervous, even though I'm you know trying to be Buddhist about it, I think, okay, well, I know five insurance companies that own over $100 million of Bitcoin. Do I think that number is going up or down? Okay. I know five endowments, okay, major endowments, Harvard, Michigan, Brown, Yale, that own Bitcoin. Do I think that number is going up or down? Okay. Hedge funds, right? We know a handful, up or down. Large asset managers like BlackRock and Guggenheim is going up and down. The number of individuals, right? There's about 125, 150. I mean, we think based on our projections, it's going to be a billion by 225. Set that aside. Is that number going up or down? All those numbers are going up and they're going up big. And you have an asset with a fixed supply. Um, and, you know, I think there's something you know, Darwinian about Bitcoin. So I think people look at people who've made a lot of money in Bitcoin and say, oh, they got lucky. They just held the Bitcoin. Holding Bitcoin is hard. Okay. So, you know, when Bitcoin gets to be 100,000 or 250,000, and my Bitcoin is worth a lot, like, I don't want to hear from anyone, oh, you just bought Bitcoin and put it away. It's like, it is hard to be a hodler. Um, and so we're collectively in this together. So this is it in part of Bitcoin support group. I'll, I'll agree with you there. Uh, it's 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 never easy, and certainly this last month or so with with the sell off has has really tested uh, the hodlers, as you say. Um, and hopefully, um, we're we're on the upswing here. The one other point I'll mention on adoption, I think, important to look at it from an investment standpoint, but also really when it comes down to it, as this as this network of money, digital money. Um, the adoption in countries like El Salvador, with even though it's 6 million people, you know, you even onboard 10, 25% of the population that starts transacting every single day in Bitcoin. The law now requires every single merchant that operates in that country, which includes big multinationals, they're required to accept Bitcoin. Um, the network effects from that, aside from investment and, and money flowing into to Bitcoin. Hold on, I have to make a point, Jason. So we know what that means. That means that Tesla have to accept Bitcoin in El Salvador, okay? So they can say they're not accepting Bitcoin. I don't know how many Teslas are getting sold in El Salvador, probably not a lot, but if they were, they'd have to accept Bitcoin. Well, knowing the, the, the Bitcoin community and certainly the, the Bitcoin Twitter community, 
Um, I imagine someone is probably on a flight down there right now to try and test that that theory. Um, and we'll we'll eagerly await Elon's uh, rebuttal or response or really just his reaction. I mean, from the beginning, he has uh, been on record as saying he believes in the potential power of Bitcoin to do good. Um, and, you know, again, as we've discussed, El Salvador is really the first test case of that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see his uh, his reaction there. I, I don't think I've shared my Elon Musk theory with the crowd. So, you know, given... You know, Anthony's not here. I'll have to keep people amused. So here's my Elon Musk theory. He cannot sell. Okay, so why can't he sell Bitcoin? Because if Elon Musk sells Bitcoin and Bitcoin goes to 500,000 or a million, he will never hear the end of it. Like no one will want to hear him talk about space. No one will want to hear about his new car. Like he will have to leave Twitter. Like he will, it, it, he will just be mocked constantly. So I, I think it's more likely... That he does, you know, people worry, is he going to sell? I'm sort of sick of him. If he wants to sell, it's fine. Although, you know, if he wants to help Bitcoin, I'll embrace it. He's got enough other things to work work on, um, you know, between his various companies. It wouldn't surprise me if he just becomes sort of a hodler. Um, and we don't hear that much about him. Um, but we'll see. We will certainly see. He's, he's never one to shy away from controversy or, uh, or publicity. Uh, and with the, the spotlight focused elsewhere, uh, perhaps a tweet is is imminent. Um, well, you know, I know you saw, you saw but, the, you know, Anonymous put a video out where they, you know, challenged him, threatened him. Um, you know, people I talked to said that that, that might have sh- shaken him a bit. Um, uh, we'll see. We'll see. He, he also just rolled out his new uh, plaid uh, model car. So, um, certainly a, a lot on on his hands. Um, let's finish up with the final topic. We've got a lot of uh, questions in the queue as well. Um, and that is uh, a friend of Salt Talks, uh, MicroStrategies, Michael Saylor, uh, doing another uh, raise at his company, this time a debt offering uh, with the explicit purpose of buying Bitcoin. Um, his first debt offering, the, the prior few were, were convertible offerings. Uh, originally targeted $400 million, upsized it to $500 million. It was reported there's there was $1.6 billion in demand. Give us some insight on that offering um, and the significance of it. Uh, well, we can make this one short so we can get to questions. Michael Saylor, 2020 MVP of Bitcoin, making a run for 2021 Bitcoin. Um, he's done a great job of sort of, you know, sort of, um, evangelized, but also really working for Bitcoin. And, and he's working behind the scenes. Um, and I, I, I think the, the practical significance of this being really pragmatic is Bitcoin volumes are really light. So, so if you look at May volumes versus where they are now, they're less than half. CME open interest is down a lot. I mean, the market has gotten relatively thin, which is why Anthony and John aren't here, right? Um, uh, so having $500 million come into the market and, you know, clean up some loose supply is just just as a, a supply demand market dynamic standpoint, helpful, right? And, and if you get a lift in the market, you, you draw those buyers at NIDIG who would rather buy at 41 than 29 coming in. So I, I think that's the most practical significance of it. 
you know, there are there are um, 18.7 million approximately Bitcoin that have been issued to date, of course, 21 ultimately, you know, of that 18.7, you know, two to four million have been lost. And about 70% of it is is huddled like mine, it doesn't trade. So the amount of Bitcoin that's actually trading that is determining the price really isn't that much. It's a fraction of the overall market cap. And so $500 million, a billion dollars, it's real money. Um, and so to, to me, that's the most significant effect is back to the Jason Zins bottom. I mean, Michael Saylor's buying could help put that in. Well, I'm certainly rooting for him. Um, and and importantly, we've not seen confirmation of a purchase. Usually he's a public company. And, and in the past, he has tweeted um, an aggregate purchase amount at a given price. We've not seen that yet. And I think you had some insight as to the, the mechanics of when that purchase may take place, given the debt offering. Well, you know, he, he announced that the deal closed yesterday. I, I, I know some of the buyers personally, they don't have to fund. So I think they're, they're committed contractually. They don't fund until next week. You know, so if he waits for the money to hit his account, he'll start buying next week. It's possible that, you know, J- Jeffries underwrote the offering. They could just bridge it to him. Um, and give it to him, you know, early. He could be buying it at Coinbase, and Coinbase could bridge it to him, or he could wait. So I, I, I don't. To your point, you know, he's going to buy it. I think systematically over several days. You know, I would expect an announcement from him. You know, either early end of this week or or end of next week, depending upon whether he got a bridge or he didn't. Well, we'll certainly keep an eye out for that, and. Uh see if there's any sailor jump or sailor bump in, in price as, as you've seen in the past. So with that, we've got uh, a number of questions in the queue. The first one um, from Anonymous, what happened to Darcy? Did he get canned? Um, I'll have to defer to Anthony, who is the personnel director here at Skybridge to comment, but no, uh, John is on a well-deserved vacation um, and will probably be back next week, I would imagine. Um, some questions on El Salvador, we obviously spent some time on it, but but one of the questions here is, what types of businesses in addition to, to mining, which um, we, we should speak about, um, what types of businesses do you see going to El Salvador with this announcement, exchanges, mining, et cetera? Um, well, look, I, I think you're gonna need, um, you know, you have to connect, you know, the, the El Salvador existing financial system right into the Bitcoin system. So, you know, there will be room for, I guess, a, a Coinbase of El Salvador, if you will. Um, and, and then I, I look, I, I think it's just going to be a very crypto friendly environment. So there's a guy named Justin Sun, who's big in the crypto community. He has a, a coin called Tron. Yeah, as people on this know, this call know, you know, we're, we're not big fans of the altcoins. Um, but he's going to be bringing a bunch of jobs to El Salvador. Um, look, El Salvador became super cool overnight. Uh, the mayor of Miami has made Bitcoin, you know, Miami cool for Bitcoiners. Um, and, and I think you're going to see, you know, look, remote work is being um, embraced. I think there are a lot of projects that can just be done there. I, it was just one last comment on sort of remote work. Samuel Bankman Freed, which is a name that I think people will come to know, he founded a company called FTX. Um, the, the Miami Heat Arena, which used to be called the American Airlines Arena, is now the FTX Arena. 
Um, Samuel Bankman Freed has made over $10 billion in like two and a half years since he started this company. And he was tweeting from the Miami conference where he was one of the speakers, an excellent speaker. And he was talking about how one of the things he enjoyed about the conference was meeting people that work for FTX that he had never met before. Um, so I think, you know, we have to come to accept that, you know, it's a different way of working. And I think particularly for people in the digital asset space, you know, I mean, Coinbase doesn't have a headquarters anymore, like an official headquarters. Um, so I, I think the range of, of people that'll be there, and I think you just have to remember, just to give you my, my city governor, uh, I mean, city government experience, what they're looking for is the multiplier effect, right? So someone moves down there, they got to buy some real estate. You know, they're going to need people to take care of their house. They got to buy food. They got to entertain, right? So that that flow of money, right, just has a multiplier effect in terms of, of how it can help their economy and their broader community. Um, I mean, it's really, you know, as I said, he's my favorite pro-green, pro-Bitcoin dictator, but it's, it's great public policy. And I think the, that multiplier effect and the, the public policy component that you touch on um, is going to be critical because if we wake up six, 12 months from now and El Salvador, which, you know, there's violence, it's not like um, it's the best place on earth. If, if things have started to turn and the economy has started to turn um, and, and the daily life for, for citizens improved, it's going to become impossible to ignore for for bigger countries and and much of the rest of the developed world. So only time will tell there. Um, but certainly, you know, whether you just monitor Twitter or listen to some of the public announcements that have been made, um, you're likely to see um, some segment of the Bitcoin community move down to El Salvador. Like you said, it it sort of became cool overnight. It also became very attractive from a tax standpoint. Um, and as we know, a lot, uh, many in the Bitcoin community are, are, are sitting on on very large capital gains. So um, we'll we'll see who 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 makes the plunge, and maybe John Darcy will be hosting these from Bitcoin Beach in the future. You know, this is one last comment on that. Um, you know, there's 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 been some skepticism that El Salvador might be an outlier, and and he, here's why I, I don't think it will be. There are you know, just many nations that are like El Salvador, sort of quasi-democracies, right, where the president exerts a great deal of influence, and they don't have that much to lose, right? I mean, you know, El Salvador, right, is a nation that has had many, you know, much struggles. Like, what was the downside to doing this for this, to them? Almost nothing, right? And so if, if you're the president of, 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 a, of a similar nation with similar challenges, I know I follow this guy on Twitter. By the way, he's a pretty good follow. And every day he's saying and doing something interesting. Um, you know, you don't be, you don't become a political leader without being a competitive guy. Like I think just the the, the competition and the and and the low the, the low stakes, right? What you know, you you run an African nation that's got great challenges. Why not be the first one on the African continent? You know, I it seems like a completely rational move. So we'll we'll try and run through a couple more questions here, um, and a lot of it's still in uh, on El Salvador. Are there any U.S. tax implications um, for El Salvador making Bitcoin legal tender? For instance, if I buy a Porsche with euros I've held for years, I don't think I have to pay capital gains. If I do that with Bitcoin, is it is it different? Um, so uh, 
let's just say TBD on the Bitcoin, as, as I said earlier, actually on the euros, you should pay taxes. No one does, and I'm not going to report to you. But if you if you have, let's say, a couple hundred grand in euros and, you know, they appreciate and you convert and then buy a Porsche, that is actually a capital gain. Um, and, you know, again, the government doesn't chase it down because the numbers probably aren't that large. Um, and and I, I think we're going to have to see again. I think I think intellectually and from a, there probably should be some changes, but it, but I'm, I'm just not sure that that we're going to change our, our orientation towards Bitcoin based on one nation of 6 million people. I, we'll have to wait and see. It, it'll be interesting to see um, any official response, if any, from, from the U.S. government. Um, I, I did hear the, the president um, on his Twitter appearance last night say that both the U.S. and the IMF has, have been in touch with, with his government, uh, and he's actually meeting with the IMF on Thursday. I think there are some some, outgo, uh, some outstanding issues uh, already with the IMF. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if this changes anything. Well, he, he, here's how I think this comes to a head is I think you're going to see a company will probably rumble with their accountants and say, this is a foreign currency. We are treating it this way. And they're going to file financial statements, right, as part of either, you know, a 10Q or they're going to file tax returns, and the government's going to have to take a position. So I, I, I don't think app, like the government has to say anything, right, until that happens, right. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, because I imagine we will get a test case in the coming quarters. One, uh, one, one more question on um, on this development um, in in El Salvador. Uh, the question is: How can Bitcoin serve any country as a currency when it's when it has such price volatility? I thought Bitcoin as an as as an is an asset class, a digital asset, not a currency. Um, well, look, you know, look, how could the, what are the different ways that this could go? So let's think about what El Salvador is doing. They're going to have sort of two currencies. Bitcoin is legal tender in El Salvador as is the U.S. dollar. So, you know, what someone who, who lives in El Salvador could do is, you know, hold savings in Bitcoin and convert it to, to dollars. Um, you, know, they, they, you know, they now have this sort of two-track choices. And uh, again, if the U.S. dollar is going to get devalued, you know, the volatility notwithstanding, Bitcoin is appreciating against the U.S. dollar, right? I mean, it started... At, being worth zero or a penny per U.S. dollar, you know, now it's $36,000 per U.S. dollar. As it goes higher, it is appreciating against the U.S. dollar. Again, for El Salvador, they have they have both. Um, so, and, and I, that's my personal view is how this plays out, is that, you know, I think eventually as, as adoption proliferates in the United States, people will hold Bitcoin and U.S. dollars. And for things like rent and, you know, Money you need available for expenses, you'll keep in U.S. dollars because you won't want to deal with the volatility. And for assets that you don't need to tap immediately, you'd rather have an asset that's volatile, but you might find is 50% higher at the end of the year versus one that has been devalued by 12% over the course of the year. And and to get a, a little bit technical just for a moment, um, 
the way it will it work in in El Salvador, as I mentioned, merchants are are required will be required, and this goes into effect in ninety days, I believe, will be required to accept Bitcoin. That also goes as far as things like mortgage debt and and other uh, loans, and so to facilitate these, as you mentioned, sort of two-way transactions with, with, with almost two currencies going on, um, the president has said that through the development bank, they'll essentially um, create a trust that they, um, that they fund from the government to facilitate these instantaneous Bitcoin to dollar uh, transactions so that you're not subject to you know, the day-to-day volatility if you're being paid in Bitcoin, but you want to hold U.S. dollars, and so it'll be interesting to see how how that plays out as well, as far as the practical implementation. Um, on paper, it's, it sounds like a, an interesting solution, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Um, but critically, is is it only works in a country like that because they've removed the taxation component, right? In, in the U.S., as you mentioned, you, you can do that really already with PayPal. You can transact technically in PayPal um, via Bitcoin. Um, but for now, it, it is technically a taxable event. In El Salvador, it is it is no longer. Um, and so we'll see how that sort of dual use case really develops. Um, yeah, I, I think the, the, the logical tax treatment in the U.S. would be to have a de minimis exception, right? So that you could have, call it $10,000 or $20,000 of transactions a year, right, that are non-taxable. And then above that, it becomes a long and short-term capital gain, depending upon your holding period, just because of, of how burdensome it may be um, for someone who's using it in regular commerce. And, and, and just to flush out, Jason, what you were saying with respect to El Salvador, right? If I understand, tell me if I got this right. So I, I, I run a, a um, the equivalent of a Starbucks in El Salvador. You come in and buy a cup of coffee. You give me Bitcoin. I don't want the Bitcoin. I can go to the government and swap that Bitcoin for dollars basically instantaneously. And so that's what this fund is being done is so that me, the, the vendor, if I don't want to own the Bitcoin, I can accept it and swap it to dollars basically instantaneously with the government facilitating that. That's right. That, that is how the, the president explained it last night on, on Twitter was that um, they'll be setting up this trust and a government wallet that will allow vendors to essentially and even automatically opt out and say, look, I'm happy to accept Bitcoin, but for right now, I don't want to hold Bitcoin. Um, so the government has said they'll step in and make that transaction riskless and essentially take, take the Bitcoin, convert it to dollars at the same price, the same exchange uh, as the merchant transaction. So really interesting plan. Kudos to them and, and um, you know, to Jack Mahler, who, who seems like he was involved here. Um, to come up to with a practical solution to a, a real practical problem of uh, as far as implementing this um, across the country. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, uh, we're we're at the end of our time. It's been fun. Thanks for letting me join. Uh, June 9th, the Jason's Ends Bottom. Um, let's uh, let's hope that continues. Thank you everyone for joining. Uh, we'll be back next week, 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, with the SkyBridge Bitcoin review. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out, bitcoinir at skybridge.com. Thank you.